0: Hello and welcome to Big Ideas, a podcast from Texas State University. I'm your host Dan Seeds from the School of Journalism and Mass Communication. We are joined this month by Dr. Laura Brimble, an assistant professor in the School of Criminal Justice and Criminology. Dr. Brimble's research interests lie at the intersection of psychology and the criminal justice system. We have Dr. Brimble on to discuss something very different from her usual research interests, but it's something that could tie into what she studies, and that's how children are judged by parents, teachers, adults, et cetera, for telling the blunt truth as opposed to lying. A fascinating topic for all of us parents out there. Some really good insight that hopefully will help all of us out. Dr. Brimble, thanks so much for being here.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So tell us a little bit about yourself first, how you became interested in criminal justice, criminology, and and psychology, because a lot of your work does deal with the psychological aspect.
1: I'm a, an assistant professor. I started at Texas State two years ago, or this is my thir- third year. Um, and I actually started in the field. I worked for TSA, actually, as a behavior detection officer. So I don't know if you have heard of that program. It's It was a little controversial when it was rolled out. But basically, my job was to watch passengers' behaviors and try to tell if they were lying or telling the truth or if they were showing some kind of sign of malintent and then interview them if they if they were. So I I got interested in kind of the practical aspect of psychology, um, and I I, um, went back to school to study the research behind kind of the the program and lying and lie detection more generally. So yeah, that's kind of where I came from.
0: So this study that we're here to discuss, which was published in the Journal of Moral Education, how did you come to this study about children, blunt truth versus lying, and, and the ramifications of that?
1: So it was actually, um, I was lucky enough during my PhD program to work with developmental psychologist, Dr. Angela Crossman. And um, working with her, we, we studied child uh, child lying and the development of lying. So it was actually, because I, I don't have any kids myself, um, <laughs> I'm sure, but if I do someday, this will be a lot more, like, have more a lot more ramifications. That, that um, would be
0: tough for them.
1: <laughs> right, if you have kids, yeah.
0: that, that mom is an expert detector at, at lying and behavior. <laughs> I would imagine.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know how to interview them. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, Dr. Crossman has ch- children, and so she she kind of had to deal with the the issues of her children lying or or not lying, you know, in front of um, guests or friends, kind of in this mower considered pro social way right um if you're lying you're 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 being polite if you're telling the truth it might be considered rude and so kind of thinking about that question like what what do you say to your child and how do you react when they either lie or tell the truth so that's where that that idea kind of came from and where the study started
0: and what the study found is that there is a complicated relationship with the truth that kids must learn to navigate, as you said, to learn what is socially acceptable, or, or they're getting these kind of influences about what is and what isn't socially acceptable. Walk us through the study, kind of the bones of it. How did this all work?
1: Yeah. So what we did, we had child actors. We had 24 child actors. Um, We had three different age groups. So we had kids from six to seven, 10 to 11, and young teenagers from 14 to 15. We had both females and males. And we set them up in situations where we asked them to both lie or tell the truth or and tell the truth in blunt or subtle ways. Then we recorded those videos and showed them to adults, both parents and non-parents, and asked the adults to rate how they saw the children. Um, and so the, the adults knew that the children were lying. So we, we set up the situation in a way that the parents knew what the truth was so that it was clear that the child was lying. And they rated the children in terms of disposition, so kind of generally like warmth, competence, how they, how they felt positively or negatively about the child. And also, some characteristics of trustworthiness, so honesty, and then we we also asked them some some questions about why they reacted the the way they reacted and whether they would punish or reward the child.
0: What is the difference between a blunt truth and the the subtle truth? describe that for us
1: yeah, so that that's where politeness would kind of come in. so if you're if you're being bluntly truthful, you know you're not gonna you're not gonna. You're not going to shy away from the truth. You might be like, oh, that was really disgusting. Is talking about someone's cooking. And if you're trying to be subtly truthful, you might be like, oh, you know, it wasn't the best food that I've ever had. That's where the politeness comes in. Right.
0: The, the politeness, the little subtleties, the sometimes we call them little white lies, right? To, to make yeah. people feel better, right? That That's what a lot of that is, is that we don't want to disrespect people yeah. in, in those moments.
1: And it's interesting because so we we actually asked the parents, do you think that the child's lying, even though we, we tried to make it clear that they were lying when they were lying. And in those subtle situations, there were more mistakes or what we considered mistakes. So parents didn't um, necessarily judge those subtle truths and subtle lies as truths and lies as accurately because it's a little bit grayer when you get into that, that subtle area.
0: And what's interesting is the fact that reading about this, that the adults on the panel said that they'd most reward a child for telling subtle truths, right? These little, the polite lies, so to speak, which as a dad, you know, we're always telling our kids, tell the truth, right? Uh, Be honest, Don't, don't lie, you know, are you not telling the truth? Is there more to the story? I mean, it's an interesting thing that we as adults kind of push them down that path, right?
1: Yeah, no, definitely. Um, And I think that the most interesting finding, well, there were a few interesting findings for me, but the most interesting finding, I think, was that generally, um, you know, when you look at kind of how people, including children, are characterized, there are certain traits that are just viewed as really, really bad. And lying is one of them. So liars are just generally just people do not like liars. People like honesty. And in our study, though, we found that only subtle, truth tellers were the ones that are viewed as more positively than liars. So liars were actually viewed more positively than blunt truth tellers, which is pretty inconsistent with how people view liars generally.
0: That's really fascinating that you that you say that. Is there any indication why as part of the study that that those folks blunt truth tellers were were penalized or punished in a sense?
1: Yeah, so it really depends. So we do have some kind of qualitative responses. We asked why. We haven't really delved into those yet. But, you know, just kind of anecdotally, I think there's a lot of just kind of different perspectives on why they they should lie or why they shouldn't lie. So it, it seems like almost a, a personal kind of, you know, maybe there's a cultural component, but people really differed in in why they justified, you know, their ratings.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because it, it's one of those things too that w- when you say that, right, like your your child tells the truth, but again, knowing the social norms, you as an adult almost want to pull them back, right? Like the other, we were out trick-or-treating, and there was a woman dressed as Ursula from The the Little Mermaid, and my four-year-old asked her, are you Ursula? And she said, yes. And she said, apparently there's multiple Little Mermaid movies, okay, Different Ursulas, different characters, whatnot. And she said to her, Are you the fat one? Now, this woman wasn't, she wasn't fat, you know, she was not at all, but she asked her that question. And I immediately got embarrassed and I was like, She's just Ursula. Let's leave it at that. Right. So, so is that an example of it's not necessarily a truth because it wasn't reflected in this woman's appearance, but it's that blunt honesty that children have. And do we as adults try to blunt that a little bit?
1: Yeah. And I think, I think definitely, I mean, I think that that would be kind of an example of this difference between a subtle and blunt right? response where you kind of wish <laughs> that, that, she, you know, your daughter would have kind of like toned it down and maybe right. had a little bit more, a little bit more measure with, with her, her, what she was saying. But I think that's kind of, you know, at a later age that, that might come hopefully. <laughs>
0: yeah. Ho- let's hope, hopefully, um, because she is definitely a blunt truth teller and I, can kind of see the vibe here from the study in my own experiences with her, where it's like, no, no, we don't, we don't say that. No, 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 no. I'd rather you be careful. So what does this study tell us about how children learn these social norms of the white lie and how our behavior as adults factors into that?
1: I feel like I don't know if you've talked to a lot of researchers. You know, it's it's kind of the annoying response. This is only one study, <laughs> so I have to build on it. You know, sure. I, I think we we kind of found a lot of a lot of different kind of factors that influenced um, how people perceive the lying. I think one thing that I, that I didn't mention so far is that we also looked at protective lies, um, which we viewed as as kind of prosocial lies where a child would lie to protect a sibling so you know if their sibling broke their broke their bicycle and you know that the child didn't want their sibling to get in trouble for breaking their bicycle so they lied for their sibling and people rated those lies as um or those children telling those lies as as negative, they they rated them more negatively than the truth tellers. So a little bit similar to an antisocial lie or what you would expect with an antisocial lie. So it's interesting because you know thinking about kind of a protective lie, you would say like maybe, maybe you would want your child to to lie to protect a sibling, in that it's, it's pro-social as it it's not to protect themselves, it's to protect someone else. That was also a little bit surprising that there was a difference between polite lies and protective lies.
0: As you said, this is just one study, right? Obviously, that's always the caveat. This is one study. There's there's other components that need to be done, other things that need to be looked at. But when you look at this study as the person that conducted it, worked on it, what does this say about adults? Because I think it says more about adults than it does children. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, and I, 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 think it's, it's, it's really interesting. One of the, the findings that, that I found really interesting, that, that might be a little nerdy <laughs> for others. What, what we found was that parents or adults ratings were different if they were rating disposition. So, like I said, you know, whether they were, they were, they viewed the child positively or negatively, or kind of warm, like this is, this is a nice kid, versus honesty. And so the honesty ratings always reflected kind of what you would expect. So children who were telling the truth bluntly they were viewed negatively, but they were judged as honest and trustworthy. So, you know, I think it it kind of depends what what you want in a child, right? Do you want an honest child? Do you want a polite child? I think it do, it does say a little bit about adults and what we value and I think, you know, it 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 might be it might be something cultural because um, our participants were American. And so maybe, you know, in the U.S., um, or at least in our sample, we valued politeness over honesty.
0: And I've read that elsewhere in other similar studies about Americans and truthfulness and honesty, that Americans are, to a fault, I suppose, at times, viewed as a more polite culture in that they won't say something to somebody's face Instead, they'll say behind their back versus in other countries, particularly like in the Netherlands, they are very upfront in your face and honest, like that does not look good on you. And then they continue on with the conversation versus here. It's like, oh, that's nice. And then it's the eye roll. Can you believe that they're wearing that type thing? Which again, I did find this stuff interesting because it speaks to us as a society as well. And so when you do this kind of research. Are you thinking in that larger context of of what this means for us as a society or who we are as a people, or is it more narrowly focused?
1: Um, so for for this study, it was it was very narrowly focused. I mean, I think that it would be really interesting to kind of broaden it, though, because I definitely think that there is way more to it. And, you know, the, this study was, you know, more quantitative where where we looked at people's ratings. Um, but I think it would be really, really fascinating. Um, again, you know, when I when I have a little bit of time to, to look at the more qualitative responses and to kind of broaden the sample to see what other people would say, what other cultures, people from other cultures. Um, how they would respond and why they would respond and I think also I mean we we looked at children of different ages um and so we we thought that people's responses would vary based on age and the results on that weren't weren't as clear but um you know and and we looked at gender as well which again there there wasn't much there but you know it was it was just 24 actors so maybe maybe if there were more more varied people or more varied actors
0: Sure, yeah, a larger sample of of participants in terms of actors and Mm -hmm. and whatnot to be able to get responses. So, and again, as you mentioned, this is just one study here. Does this study end here? Is there future research planned with this? And if so, can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: I think I'd like to, ideally. I'd like to, you know, I think especially when you look at kind of moral development of children, um, I think that that would be really, really interesting, especially as it pertains to, you know, for. For my more broader research, say interviewing children and understanding children's motivations to lie in a criminal context, and how that affects potentially you know how they were socialized as a child, how that affects their motivations during interviews as an adult or as an adolescent. I think that that there are definitely some some potential um, questions that that could be answered there that would be really interesting.
0: And you segued into that nicely because, as I mentioned at the start, your focus is on psychology and the criminal justice system, and and clearly you just stated how this research could fit into that. In terms of this as a tool or a way to, to look into the way that people respond to interrogation or questioning, as a psychologist, somebody that does this, um, that has done this before, how deep do you get with a with a subject? I mean, do you study their background before they're asked questions? What what is that process like, so you can have a better understanding of them, which I would imagine helps kind of guide the interviewer better understand how to get the responses that you need.
1: Yeah, no, definitely, um, and that that's something that that kind of is is a is a huge component of the the research that I do now. Part of the the research that I do is focused on on law enforcement training and how to kind of move training from a more kind of accusatorial perspective where you go into the interview and you know the questions that you're going to ask. You kind of have this perspective that you know what was done, you know that the subject might be guilty, and so you're the one talking and you're not really listening as much. I'm trying to shift from that to a more investigative interview approach where you're listening a lot more, um, asking few questions and, and trying to get to know the subject. Um, and so with that, trying to, you know, get to know the subject and to try to understand their perspective, trying to understand their underlying motivations, part of that is is encouraging interviewers to look at, you know, uh, subjects background, you know, how, you know, where did they come from? culture, their family background, what they've been through, how they grew up, um, information like that to prepare so you know you can try to understand their perspective a little bit more and and maybe understand kind of where they're coming from so you can, you can hopefully relate to them and, and help them cooperate.
0: What are some of the biggest challenges that investigators face when they're doing an interview or preparing for one or going through that process? Because you know, in our minds, modern media, modern television, movies, film, whatnot, it just, they make it look so easy. Like after 30 minutes, they're, they're going to get the answers that they want, right? And obviously that's not the case, but what are some of those challenges that go into that based off of your past research or your past professional experience that maybe you could shed some light on that for our audience to give us a perspective of what it's really like?
1: That's a really interesting question. You know, I think, I think it it really depends on the interviewer. I mean, from my my research, I've really found that everyone kind of has a different perspective. Even as an interviewer, everyone kind of has a different approach. And I think it is it is difficult, you know, when, when we're asking interviewers to kind of take the perspective of uh, a subject. that's That's a difficult task, right? It's a lot easier to just kind of go in and say, you know, this person's guilty. I know it. And this is the evidence out front. And not listen, not try to get to know the subject. It's, it's a lot less cognitively tasking, but actually trying to get to know someone is a lot harder to do. And, you know, if that's your job on a, on a daily basis, it can be exhausting to do that. And it can be really hard, you know, and it, it can be hard to get to know get to know a subject and, you know, understand their perspective. And then, you know, you might feel bad for them and understand kind of where they're coming from. And so, so that, I think that can be tough.
0: And I was going to ask about that. Is is there kind of a line there where sometimes if you get too far over the line that sympathy starts to come in or that you could possibly lose sight of the end result or the end goal or that you're too embedded with the person? Is that ever a concern in these kind of situations?
1: I can't really speak to that because I've never, you know, I've never been actual law enforcement. I I haven't conducted these kinds of interviews, but I I could imagine it, it would you know, kind of be a concern because it, you know it's it's hard work. And you know if you have to do this every day, right? You do you interview a new a new sub a new suspect or a new subject, witness victim every day, getting to know them, each different person who has their individual story, who's probably gone through something pretty bad, right? if you're if you're police talking to someone, it's it's never going to be a good day, right? Mm-hmm. so that that can be really tough. I think.
0: We've interviewed folks from the School of Criminal Justice and Criminology before. You guys do some really fascinating work over there, interesting work, work that's beneficial for society, the area as a whole. What happens over there? What What's going on? The importance of the work that you guys do?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I've only been here for about a little bit more than two years, um, but it's been such a great experience. I think, you know, my my colleagues, do a lot of really really interesting research. A lot of us do work in policing um, and one of the things that I really like about it because as a psychologist my work is very applied. I work with with law enforcement, um, with interviewers um, directly. And so I really like that the college or the school is very applied and they have a lot of connections with law enforcement agencies. All, all of my colleagues, you know, work very closely with with different law enforcement agencies, different agencies. It's really been great to to get to know them to to work with some of them to see the amazing work that they've been doing.
0: Well, Dr. Laura Brimble, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Big Ideas. Thank you. And thank you all for downloading and listening to our last episode, hard to believe, of 2022. We'll be back in 2023 with another year of episodes. Until then, we hope you have a happy and healthy holiday season. And please, as always, stay well and stay informed. Big Ideas TXST is a presentation of Texas State University subscribe to experience more innovative thought-provoking content. If you like what you hear, consider leaving us a starred review, five if possible. The views expressed during this program are those of the individual participants and do not necessarily represent those of the university. Big Ideas is hosted by Daniel Seed, produced by Jamie Bloschke, strategic consultant is Kelly Raz,